This morning, as I came in for the first service, somebody said, oh, you again? Uh, thank you very much for that warm welcome, as that part goes along. I'm Rick Schunkweiler. I'm the senior minister of White Oak Christian Church, and Nathan is doing Meet the Pastor today. I, I don't know if you noticed, he really did a great job with his hair, because he knew that he was going to be meeting with a group of people. Hey, thanks for being here today. Uh, at the same time, today, one of the things that happens sometimes is that we think that the church gathers together to get away from all the things that are going on around us. But today, in light of the, of the accident on Friday night, we just have to pray. I want to call the church to pray. I want us to pray for the girls. I want us to pray for their families. And, and then I also know that we have other folks who are part of our, of our church that are in the hospital who are struggling with illness. I have one guy this morning that was put into hospice and doesn't look like he's going to live this week. And how do we come together as the body of Christ to raise up people and asking God to do a very special work in their life? First Timothy says that I want men and women everywhere to lift holy hands in prayer. So if you're comfortable, just raise your hands. We're going to pray right now. Father, it's in this moment that we come before you stunned. The challenges of this weekend are more than we can bear. And Father, I I do not know the pain and the struggle that the families have, the three girls who were hurt in this accident. Father, I I know how desperately Lila's hurt, and we lift her up to you. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen her. We pray for her family in the midst of the confusion and the chaos, that they would know your presence, Lord. And as a church, Lord, we lift her up. We don't know all the words to say, but we know that you know. We know that you are the God of the universe. We're asking you to do something special there. Father, we pray for uh, both of the other girls and for their family as well. The challenges that they face, the rehab and, and the recovery. Father, I pray for them. Father, we also lift up to you those who are part of our body here, who are in the hospital, struggling with pain, life, end-of-life issues and all those things that come along with it. We pray for their families. We pray, Lord, for your strength to be upon them. Father, we pray for each other today. The challenges that we face, whether it be at home or at work or in our community, Father, I pray that we would lean on you to care for us. Father, I thank you for White Oak. I thank you for her being here in the Ross community. I look forward to the ways in which you give us opportunities to minister and to love on the folks of the Ross community. Father, we pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. And everybody said together, amen. Thank you for being here. We're in the midst of a series where we are studying through the book of Romans. And today we're in the seventh chapter. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to Romans chapter 7. Or maybe it's your electronic device, one of those things. There's a stretch of road that I travel. I grew up in western Indiana. Most of my family is still in western Indiana. And there's a stretch of road that I travel so often that it's almost like I go on autopilot. Any of you have those kinds of trips, you know, where you just kind of fall asleep? And I was traveling back on that road not long ago when I awoke to see these in my rearview mirror. Maybe. There you are. Yep, sure enough, the blue lights were there. And uh, as, as I pulled over, the officer approached and asked those questions that they always ask. Do you know how fast you're going? And I honestly said, no, I have no idea. Do you know what the speed limit is here? No, I don't know that either. That's not exactly the words that you ought to be using when the officer pulls you over. <laughs> After we had this conversation for a while, he, do, he gives me a warning, and I'm able to drive off. I said, thank you, God, and I said, thank you, officer, as well. 
as that part goes along. But, but I'm fascinated by the fact that what went on in my head at that point in time is that while I realized I might have been driving fast, in fact, now I realize why people were waving at me as I was going by. They were going this way, slow down, not this way. Um, I still have that bent that whenever I pass through that area of the road, I want to drive fast. I want to speed. Part of me wants to just break the law. Any of you have that feeling? Come on, you can confess here it's church. You need to tell the truth, right? You need to tell the truth. <laughs> now, now I know that there are, <clears throat> I know there are a few law enforcement people here in the in the room, and you're going to come up to me later and say, "Just exactly which stretch of road is that?" So you can pull me over. I know what the deal is there. <clears throat> but have you noticed that in your own spiritual walk that? That there are things that you do that you know you ought not to do. There are things that you don't do that you know you're supposed to do. <clears throat> and you have this battle uh, within you. You're just, you're just itching to do something different. What I notice whenever I drive through that area, my should, my should do says it's speeding. And, but my want to says, yeah, he let you go the last time. Come on. My should do says it's dangerous. My want to says, well, why don't you buy a radar detector? That way you can slow down when he's around. My should do says it's the law, but my want to says, you know, I'm a careful driver, and really the speed limit is designed for those people who just can't control the car. It's really more of a suggestion, you know, for them. Does your want to do that to you sometimes? That's what mine does. And the time I save, I will pray when I get to the location. My want to gets in trouble. My should do says, why don't you leave five minutes early, and then when you're in the parking lot, you can pray at that point in time. Those are silly kinds of things that go on in our lives. But have you noticed that sometimes as a Christian, it feels like you're on this hamster wheel and you keep doing the things that you didn't want to do and, and, and you don't do the things that you really want to do. It's so much easier before we know the law, before we knew Jesus. We just kind of acted the way that we wanted to. But now I know there's a war within me. I, I know what to do, but I don't want to do it. And the songs that we sang this morning communicate that very well. In the midst of the storm, I'm still going to pray. In the midst of the challenge, I'm still going to be shouting out loud. In the midst of the storm, I still have the assurance of Jesus in my life. But what does that look like in the battle that I'm, that I'm going on here? What, what is it that's going on? Anybody here identify with that conversation? I mean, do you, do you have those conversations with yourself? and go, I know what I'm supposed to be doing, but I'm not doing that. I know what I shouldn't do, and I am doing that. Anybody going to be honest here today? Raise up your hand. Yeah, there you go. Come on. That's what goes on. And how do we live with the blame and shame that goes on in our lives? And when we jump into the seventh chapter of Romans, all of a sudden Paul brings that to our attention. You know, before we came to Jesus, we had plenty of signs that we just didn't pay attention to. We sped through immorality on our way to pleasure. We sped through cheating on our way to success. We sped through boasting on our way to popularity. And we sped through lying on our way to pop power. But when we found Jesus, when we found God... We found grace. And, and we'd only just begun to walk with Jesus when all of a sudden we see the signs and then we see that we're not doing the things that we want to do. I mean, you read through Scripture and you read, do you have a temper? Are you just kind of mean? As a person, you go, yeah, that's kind of how I'm made. But then I realized Matthew 5 says this, but I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. 
This is particularly written for you who have, uh, you have brothers and sisters at home, okay? Be aware of that. Here we go. Tough one. And anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which is the word fool, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Ever use that word? Mm, wow. Man, I never knew that. Or, or what about wandering eyes and you're surfing the internet for pornography and maybe you talk to others in coarse ways. Did you realize Matthew five twenty eight says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Oops, where'd that come from? Or maybe you tell exaggerated stories to make your point. Matthew 5 also speaks to that when he says, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. But, but, but I've always talked like that. Have you ever sought to put people in neat boxes and categories so that you could define them very easily and you didn't have to think about them? Matthew 7 says very simply, Do not judge or you too will be judged. Do you want to be put in a box yourself? With a batting average like this, I'm in deep trouble, Right? I am in challenge in all those years you just really felt at peace with your behaviors and now you know what the signs say. I know it would be really easy if you didn't see the signs, but now the law has been revealed. So what? I'm on this hamster wheel where it just keeps going. It feels like I'm being held together and that I have these, these bounds around me that keep me from going on. Here's our truth for today that we're going to see in, Matthew, or excuse me, in Romans chapter 7. It's this, I am not bound I don't have to have these things continue to go on. There's a battle raging in me that Jesus can win. We turn to Matthew, or excuse me, to Romans chapter 7. We're going to begin in verse 24 today. As Paul describes the dilemma he's in, this sounds very much like the way that I live as well, the challenge I have. He says this, You know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. Notice the I problems that Paul has right off. This is one of those passages of Scripture where he doesn't say we or you. He says I. And one of the conversations that goes on among commentators is, is Paul talking about his past life before he became a Christian? Or is he talking about as a Christian? Or is he just trying to be figurative? I think because he uses the word I, he's talking about the real situation in his life. Like, oh my gosh, this is the Apostle Paul. This is the one who writes most of the New Testament. This is the guy who's the greatest church planter ever, and he's struggling with this. We'll, we'll continue to read. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And I do what I do not want to do. I agree that the law is good. And it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful self, my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this lot work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? 
Paul's talking about this dilemma that when in, in Ma- excuse me, in Romans, why do I keep saying Matthew? In Romans chapter 6, it talks about us being born again. It talks about the fact that we are raised from dead. He's talking about the fact that we have two natures. We have the physical nature, my body itself, and we have my spiritual nature. And there seems to be a war that keeps going on. Do, do, do any of you feel that dilemma in your own life? Those challenges, you go, I know what I ought to be doing here, but I keep choosing to do the wrong. Or, or excuse me, I know the things I ought not to do that I do. The things that I ought to do, I don't do. I, I recognize this in my own life, and Paul's confession is so welcome here. There are three things I want you to learn today in this passage. Number one, this is a common experience See, one of the reasons many Christians are defeated is this fact that once I became a Christian, I expected everything to be perfect. I didn't expect to have these kinds of challenges in my life. And so whenever I come up against this war that takes place, I am defeated immediately. And I quit. Here's the, I mean, these are the words of the Apostle Paul, the author of this book. And notice how he is described in himself, in fact, in Romans chapter 1, the first couple of verses. This is from the message. Here's what it says. I, Paul, am a devoted slave of Jesus Christ, on assignment, authorized as an apostle to proclaim God's words and acts. I write this letter to all the believers in Rome, God's friends. Notice he says, I am a devoted slave of Jesus Christ. And then he says in Romans 7, but I struggle with how to behave, how I'm living out my life. That seems, that seems strange, right? But Paul says that's the battle that's going on. He says, I'm authorized as an apostle to proclaim God's words and acts. And yet I'm also the one who says, the things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I want to do, I don't do. Oh, wretched man that I am. So it tells us that this is a common experience that, that we as humans have in following God. He's teaching us that our nature is twofold. That there is the spiritual, soulish man and that there is this fleshly man. And that when, in that first moment, whenever I decide to follow Jesus, whenever I'm baptized into Christ, I am raised to walk in new life. That's what Romans chapter 6 said. We looked at that last week. That's the resurrection of my soul, my spirit. But I still have this outer covering that continues to struggle. And and in Revelation, it says, woe to the man who has to undergo the second death. And what 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 he's meaning there is that you know, if you, if, when you're baptized, you, you come up out of the water, you are brand new, you're alive. But your body is still going to die. And what, what the Revelation writer is saying to us that, is that the second death has no power over those of you who have experienced that first death and resurrection. And, and, and so if you've become a Christian, at some point in time, God's going to give you that new body. But until then, Scripture tells us over and over again, we struggle. That's an amazing picture. This is a, there's a conflict that arises between our redeemed soul and the Holy Spirit in us and this fleshly body that we have. One writer said it this way, there's a civil war raged between, waging, excuse me, waged between the new heart and the old nature. Romans 7 and 8 describes it in quite well. Part of me doesn't want to love my neighbor, not when his son just backed his car into my Jeep and smashed it up. I want to take the little brat to court. Part of me knows that prayer is essential, and another part of me would rather turn on the TV and check out. And that whole bit about long-suffering, no way. Part of me just wants to get drunk. 
And that is the part I must crucify daily, give no ground to, make no alliance with. It is not the true me, according to Romans 7, 22. It's my battle with the flesh. We all know that battle well. Paul describes that battle well. And, and I want to do what I don't want to do, and I don't want to do what I should do. And I, you know, I want to talk the talk like Paul does. These words show Paul's humility. And one of the things that we have to do is let the power of sin be released from us. And the way in which we do that is through humility and confession. It contrasts Paul's description of himself in the book of Acts when it talks about this, this man who is haughty, this man who is, who is seeking to kill Christians because they're not following the God he understands. And yet that transformation is so different. And now he pictures this intense struggle that exists only when the heart and life of a redeemed believer struggles with the Holy Spirit in his life. There's a longing of that tender heart of the Christ follower that we see here. And then there's that assurance that verse 25 and later on Romans 8.1 gives to Paul. And Paul's experience is consistent with the spiritual struggles of countless sincere Christians. This reminds me of how important the fellowship of friends here at church is vital, vital to our, to our survival. That's one of the reasons why we encounter and challenge you to be a part of a life group. Is there a band of brothers and sisters that know you? Not, we don't come together in life groups, so, okay, tell me your sin this week, and is, can you top that? Are you about a better one? That's not what life group is about. But it is a group of people who come together and say, here's how we're living out the Christian walk. Here's the places where we are tempted to stumble. Here's the places where I need you to pray for me, and where I need you to, to give me strength. Because here's the truth. Here's what I've learned, and it's this. Temptation wants you to do life alone. Temptation wants you to do life alone. And that way, nobody knows. It's in secret. It's, but when I have a band of brothers and sisters around me, things begin to change. One of our partners said this, so much changed, but I didn't, wouldn't see it at the time. Now I can feel the peace, and I believe the love is real. I struggle a lot with letting go of those things I can't control, but I'm definitely doing better now than I did before. We form friendships. We said that's a part of our vision here is that we would form friendships because then we would feel hope and we would find God and we would follow his path. I need friends around me who will encourage me. And Paul is talking about here in the seventh chapter of Romans, don't do this alone. Life is too dangerous. Don't do it alone. We hear those struggles and those heartaches and we understand and we seek to make a difference. But we must come to the point where we admit our powerlessness. One of, the thing, one of the ministries we have at White Oak is Celebrate Recovery. And it meets on Monday nights at 6.30. Hurts, Habits, and Hang-Ups. It's similar to AA. And one of the very first principles of AA is to realize you're powerless, but that there is a higher power that will help you. That, that's really right smack out of Scripture. And those who do well in recovery are those who begin to be honest and humble and allow God to be at work in their lives. Because the second thing that's true in this passage is what goes on in, a, in the Celebrate Recovery, and that's this, confession of reality. I have to confess the reality of my life. I'm not playing a game with God anymore. He already knows what's going on in my life, but I am spending so much energy trying to keep it covered up that I am miserable. Confession is not telling God what he doesn't already know. Confession is not complaining. It's not reciting problems or rehashing my woes. It is not whining. 
Confession is not blaming. Notice that Paul says, I, 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 I did this. Sin in me does this. Confession is radical reliance on God's grace. It's a proclamation of our trust in God's goodness. What I did was bad, but your grace is greater, God. Thank you. So I confess it. It doesn't necessarily have to be with another person, but I find it very powerful if I have very close allies and very close friends that I can talk to. Great grace creates honest confession. And that is what happens in a group when you're talking to a particular person. They see the grace in your life, and all of a sudden it begins to be applied in their own lives. Do you need a spiritual MRI to expose those foreign objects that are in your spiritual life? I mean, regrets over a teenage relationship, maybe. Remorse over a poor choice. Shame about a marriage that broke up. That habit that holds on to you. That temptation that keeps tripping you. The courage that never shows up. What's going on? Confession exposes that. Paul's reminding you, you don't need to make this inward journey alone without God. In fact, it's dangerous just to kind of open up the old wounds and the things that are in there without God being in the midst of that because there's no solution to it. We just keep rehashing it over and over again. There are so many voices today urging you to look inside, deep within, find the invisible strength, that hidden power that you can overcome this yourself. And Paul says, we can't do this alone. We've got to have the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's why Romans 6 precedes Romans 7. Because here he's talking about the fact that you've been raised to walk in a new life. The Holy Spirit is in you. There is power for you to deal with these particular issues. It is dangerous without God to open up these wounds. It just is dangerous. And we've seen that happen. We see things happen around our country that we wonder where it came from, and then we find out somebody's been dealing with the stuff on the inside, and there's no God in the middle of it. And the rage pours out. Because self-assessment without God's guidance leads to denial, to shame, and to anger. We can justify our behavior or design our own torture chambers. Which will we do? Will we allow Him to let us out? Wave the white flag. No more combat. Or cover up. No more arguments with heaven. Come clean with God. Another person here in our church said this. Wow, where to begin? I guess the easiest way is to say it. In November of 2011, I realized he had given me his love. I stopped trying to earn his and other people's love. And then he allowed me to refocus efforts on the big picture. Balance and peace in my life. Sure, it, it might be tears on your pillow and a sleepless night. But the old you would suppress the argument. Put it, in, put it in that crowded cellar of unresolved conflict. Putty over and paint the wood and remodel the room. But not with grace. You see, grace is the morning sun, the brightening of the day, the removing of the shadows, bringing everything into clear light. Grace is warmth. And in the midst of God's grace, we can reveal who we are and where we struggle. God's not scowling at your presence. He doesn't stand there with his arms crossed hoping to catch you in something wrong. No. He stands there with his arms open wide ready to welcome you in to the openness and honesty of this relationship that you can have with him through Jesus. The truth is, I am not bound. I don't have to stay on this hamster wheel. Even when it feels like I'm there, God says, I provided a way for you to escape. You can risk honesty with God. When you get up from that pillow, you can say, Jesus, can we talk about today? Or maybe even yesterday. 
I mean, I'm sorry for the way I reacted, for the way I acted. I was harsh. I was judgmental. I was impatient. I ran for my medicine instead of the master. You've given me so much grace. I gave so little. Please forgive me. Maybe you need to hang a sign on your office wall at your cubicle, or maybe you carry it around on your book bag that just says simply, grace happens here. Because as grace is in your life, then you can give grace to others. Another person wrote this, I realized that I need to forgive others. Sometimes that can be easy, but there have been instances in my life of which I don't want to discuss on Facebook where I thought I could never forgive someone. It's taken me a long time to learn forgiveness, which is kind of sad because Jesus did it so willingly for me. The thought of his grace fills me with such love and wonder that it literally gives me chills. We had this amazing, amazing teaching moment this week in Dallas, Texas. At the trial of the young officer who shot the man in what she thought was her apartment, but said, I wanted to kill him. When his brother sits on the witness stand and he says, I forgive you. And, and I don't know if you, if you, I mean, I was transfixed by the images. I had to sit there and watch the interchange. And then he says to the judge, can I give her a hug? This is the guy, this is the gal who killed your brother. And then the judge comes down and does the same thing. And the DA says, this is what brings healing into our communities. And I'm looking at Romans 7, thinking about that and saying, that's what Jesus was talking about when he gives this to the Apostle Paul. I then talked to a number of my African-American friends and they said, you know, one of the struggles in our community is we feel like we are always forgiving others. I said, true. But where does it say in Scripture for you who are believers that you can return evil for evil? That's the dilemma. We don't return evil for evil. We forgive. We don't, we don't continue to pile guilt on people. We forgive. Yeah, she's going to prison but she's going forgiven by the family. What power that was. Who's in your life that you need to forgive? Maybe it's yourself. Maybe you need to be open to God forgiving you as well. I'm not, I'm not advocating work salvation here. We're saved by grace through faith. But in the process of growth as believers, the light of the gospel must gradually shine on those areas of our lives that hold us back from fulfilling our true calling. When the gospel of Christ begins to chip away at those holdups, we learn what it means to be truly free and why it is prudent to hate sin. See, some people believe confession only happens when you step into this sanctuary area or when you come to church. But confession is really a lifestyle. It's a day-to-day, minute-by-minute honesty with God that says, here's where I struggle, God. Help me in my struggle. Because here's what I know. Confessors find a freedom that deniers don't. Confessors find a freedom that deniers don't. Because the ability to live our lives free is not that I can do anything I want, whenever I want, however I want. No, no, no. Freedom is the ability to function in the way God designed you to function. That's what's going on. That's what Paul's seeking here in this passage. Can I live life the way God has designed me to live life? And the answer in the, in the text is yes, because Jesus has forgiven you. The third thing I see from this text is this, conviction and hope. Both of those go together. 
I need to be convicted of my sin, but I have great hope that God cares for me. I pray for a, a congregation that, that just practices and believes in confession. Because I believe in a Christ who hears confession and blesses us. I'm not looking for a fellowship of perfect people, but for one that confesses sin and shows humility. A place where the price of admission is simply the admission of guilt. That's what the church is. For we're growing communities where people are becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus. There, that must be a place of grace. Healing happens in a church like that. Growth happens in a church like that. There's freedom and health in a place like that. And that's why Paul ends this passage saying, who's going to deliver me from this? And he answers it in verse 25 when he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God who delivers us through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no answer to this hamster wheel. There's no answer to my behavior. There's no way out of this dilemma without Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And God has worked on my behalf. And this truth is the basis of my hope. Blessed assurance. I can feel hope because of the assurance that Jesus brings. The message says it this way in Romans 8, 1 and 2. Take a look at the words. It says, when the, with the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, <coughs> excuse me, that fateful dilemma is resolved. We're going to talk more about this next week. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying black cloud. The new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. Freedom is the ability to function in the way that God designed you to function, not under this cloud. So later we read from the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 1. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I don't want to live. I don't want to live a life of denial. I don't want to live a life where I'm trying to hide things from God. And what it says here is, if I claim to be without sin, I deceive myself. And the truth is not in me. And so saying to God, what's going on in my life is this sweet certainty. He will forgive. He will cleanse. Not he might, he could, he would, he should, or has been known to. It says, he will cleanse you. Wow, I mean, talk to him. Share the details And let the pure water of grace flow over your mistakes, over your sin. And then celebrate it. Pass it on. Here's another thing that I've learned. Trust trust God's ability to receive your confession more than your ability to make it. Because that's our our deal. We're just afraid God's not going to hear this. And God's going to, oh, shame on you. How awful this is. Trust God's ability to receive your confession even more than your ability to make it. Because the love that caused Christ to die is the same love that sends the Holy Spirit in us to live in us and to give us power over sin. The power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that saved you and is available to you in your daily life. Be assured that having been begun a life with Christ, you have a reservoir of power and love to call on each and every day for help to meet every challenge or trial. You can pray for God's power and love as you need it. See, we have this tendency to only pray to God and talk to Him when we're in the midst of some some struggle instead of praying ahead of time and asking for that power and that strength in my life. 
I'm not talking about a miracle here. I'm talking about real ability to say yes and no to the things of God. The truth again, I'm not bound. I don't have to be on this hamster wheel. I don't have to feel defeated. I am part of God's family. Would you pray with me, please? Father, how can we begin to understand your grace? Jesus, your grace is so amazing. May we never seek to earn anything from you, but simply rest in your finished work of salvation. Thank you for paying the price so that we might live and move and have our being. Lord God, we pause now to become aware of the many ways in which we sin, both by our actions and our inactions. Father, I pray your forgiveness upon us to heal us and to grant us your peace. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Where do you struggle? Maybe, maybe this afternoon or maybe tomorrow morning, you just pour yourself a cup of coffee or tea or your favorite beverage and sit in a chair and talk to God about where you struggle. Don't, don't just kind of hope that he figures it out or bury it, but allow him to spend some time with you. Today, you may want to be praying with one of our leaders and they'll be up front at the end of this service. As you come into this time of communion, I want to encourage you to think about what it is that God is helping you to overcome and to give him thanks and to trust him. If you want to find out more about how to follow Jesus, uh, Nathan and I will be at the hub. Darren's up here. A number of people out there that are wearing the cannonball t-shirts can talk to you about how to begin to follow Jesus. Thanks for this morning. Let's continue to worship this amazing God.